Hey folks, welcome to another GD podcast. Uh, we are live, not at a match. We're actually at a semi-local to me business with my good friend Harrison Servos of Servos Custom Firearms. We're here in what city? Stapleton, Alabama. Stapleton, Alabama. Uh, exit 44 off of I-10 North. It's the Loxley exit. That is a very special exit to me. I got in a car accident on that exit. Oh no! When I was uh, when I was going to Mardi Gras many 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 moons ago, um, yeah, everybody was fine. My truck was yeah. fine. We uh, we soldiered on, went and partied our faces off in uh, in Mardi Gras. It was a great time. Um, so every time I drive past this exit on all of my trips, I'm always like, "That's where I got in the car accident," and now I can be like. Harrison shops off here because I I've we've been trying to do this podcast for what like two years now at least yeah um we are going to get into some concentricity on some barrels cool. I know it's your jam um but yeah wanted to come out here um I took this entire week off for uh some personal stuff and then that personal stuff ended up not happening so I was like well better best to make the the most of it so I definitely wanted to come out here and pick your brains so who are you well like you said my name is harrison servos um i grew up down here in south alabama i um i you know going through high school everybody you know says what do you want to do with your life and i grew up in the garage working on things with my father you know after church um always been big on using my hands robotics club built race cars in high school things like that and when it came time to decide what you want to do with your life um you know, I didn't want to go be an engineer like everybody else. I want to do something different. And my, my father had brought up the idea of gunsmithing. And at first I was opposed to it. And I said, well, let's look at machining. And the more I looked into gunsmithing and building rifles, it's all machining. I mean, every bit of right. it. And so it kind of fit my niche. And I said I was going to go to school for that. And so, you know, I, I really wasn't big on guns either growing up. Um, I was that is very surprising. I would not have pegged that for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. I, I was in Boy Scouts, and it was a whole, the whole outdoor thing. And I, I made it to Eagle Scout. But along the way... Um, I spent a lot of time, you know, on, on the rifle range there in scouting and in the shotgun classes, and I, I enjoyed shooting, and I didn't know how far that was going to take me. But when you kind of look at, you know, gunsmithing kind of combined that with my hands-on um, my hands-on mentality, it, it just it kind of fit, and that's kind of what I started to pursue. Um, aside from that, you know, I just I like the outdoors. I like rock music. I, I Manual cars, you know, automotive stuff. It's just anything mechanical I get my hands on, I just thrive on. Okay. So, and then, so high school, you were trying to figure out what you wanted to be, and that, and that led you to pursue an education in gunsmithing? That's correct, yeah. I, um, I looked at a lot of the gunsmithing schools around the country and ended up picking Murray State College out in Tishomingo, Oklahoma. Um, interviewed out there and got selected first round. Um, and so then I attended three years of school out there studying gunsmithing and custom gun making as well, getting two okay. degrees in it. and. I worked as a machinist as my summer job because as a kid, um, you know, a kid in college, that's pretty good money to do in the summer. So right. I'd work all summer, work hard, put the money away, go keep going to school. Um, and then after school, I continued working in that machine shop as I produced the money to start to open up my shop. Okay. And then, so, like, that's one thing that I looked at when I was a little bit younger in the military is they had, like, they have the online gunsmith school, right? Mm -hmm. Um kind of looked at that. I had already gotten uh, an associate's, and it's an associate's in gunsmithing, so mm -hmm. the Air Force wouldn't pay for another one. So I was like, ah, what do I want to do? Do I really want to? I, 
I know that I am not a correspondence learner. <laughs> After all the correspondence classes that I've had to do, I'm definitely a hands-on get in there and do it, um, do it kind of learner. So um, ended up not going down that path. But that was an in-person three-year program in Oklahoma that you went to. Yes, So correct. like you're doing room and board, you're doing, you're doing, you're going to college normally, but instead of a generalized classroom where you're learning, learning like differential equations, you're learning, you know, run out to the, you know, hundred thousandth on a, on a CNC lather mill or something like that. Yeah, that, that's right. So, you know, in, in school, basically, you know, we would spend eight o'clock in the morning till nine o'clock at night, every single day in, in the classroom, hands-on, actually working on firearms you know day one we we had our refinishing classes that started the first year we were there we had files on guns actually making metal chips you know within being in the classroom for three or four hours um it was just everything was so hands-on and the reason i picked that school was because their machine shop was so large okay. and they had such a focus on machining you know we walked into that building when you go to tour the school and there's 27 old south bend lays lined up meticulously maintained just a, an incredible machine shop and so as soon as I saw that shop, I said, this is where I want to go because I want to learn the machining aspect and, okay. and chase the precision. Awesome. And then you, when did you graduate that school? So that, I graduated in 2017, then reattended for the custom gun making degree in 20, and graduated in 2018 with the second associates, um, and then came back home, um, starting to pursue my shop and work in a machine shop as well. Do they have like a bachelor's in firearms manufacturing? Is is like, like, education, associates, bachelor's, master's, doctorate? Like, is there that in in the firearms industry? So actually, Murray State College that I just attended, that I attended, they just approved a bachelor's program in gunsmithing. And okay. the only difference between what I took and what you'd have to do for completion would be other core credits, more English is more math, okay. and so. They do have that now currently, but they did not at the time. Okay. Is that something that you're looking to to go back and finish maybe? Um, in all honesty, where I'm at right now with the shop, I don't really see a point in going back being that I'm self-employed. If I was working for somebody else, maybe it'd be something to pursue. But at the moment, I mean, I learned all the gunsmithing parts of that. And right. really that's all I care about at the moment is just be better at machining, better at gunsmithing, how to pursue, you know, improvement in all that. Okay. Um. So you got got done with college in 2018 and then came back home to South uh, Alabama and then slowly started working on your shop. Like what were your, what were some of your first jobs like once you got back here? So I, um, I, I got my FFL in, in 2018, August 1st, 2018. It's been just over five years since I opened now. And um, the, the very first job that came in the door was in 1911 that a customer had dropped on the ground and the slide wouldn't reciprocate anymore. So okay. that job involved tearing the gun down and refitting the slide rails to the slide to get it operational. Okay. And that was the very first job that ever came through my doors, you know, after having my, my license and, and shop. Okay. Um, and now it's been five years. You're in a, well, this is a, a 30 by 30 by 60, 30 by yeah, 80. Yeah, 30 by 60. 30 by metal 60. Building. Metal building out on a property and you've got employees, you've got a cage full of, of projects that people are, are paying you to fix. You got lasers and tasers and blazers and all kinds of crazy stuff back here. Uh, fiber lasers. You got uh, Cerakote stuff. You've got mills. You got lays. You've got all kinds of surface grinders. You got all kinds of tools in here now. 
Um, did you picture that like on your journey through gunsmithing school? Yeah. So I, I knew before I even started school that I wanted to jump out on my own and kind of run a business. Um, okay. I, I kind of set a goal and I want to pursue it. And I, I just always knew that's what I wanted to do. I just had that feeling and I, I'd, I'd run the show, you know, I'd take over the world. You know, I, I grew up watching like Jesse James on television on the Discovery Channel and you get guys like Richard Rawlings, the big personality. And I'm not as big a personality as those guys, but, but man, I always thought it was just so cool that, you know, look what they built, look what they run. And, you know, that's, that's just kind of what I witnessed growing up. And so I was like, I, I want that. I want to get after it. I want to own it. I want to build a name for myself doing quality work. Okay. Um, so that's a little bit of who you are and, and what you're doing now. Um, and we've kind of already broke the ice, but we're going to go through our icebreakers here. Sure. So um, seeing how there's both rimfire and centerfire stuff, you're more on the rimfire side. So if you want to answer both rimfire and centerfire, feel free to do so. But break or suppressor? So I, I'm in the camp of suppressor, even though it's it's a lot more – it's a lot more complicated. Um, okay. You know, the big thing to look at with cans is, is your SDNES spread on really anything you're running. Um, some cans are notoriously for having negative effects on that. Um, and, and in other worlds, you know, guys will say, you know, break all day. And, and from a precision shooting standpoint, a break is an easier option to run, you know, with your recoil reduction. But I personally prefer a can. Um, I like the push, you know, the impulse on recoil, especially on center fire with a can. But in, in rim fire, it, it just makes, you know, with subsonic ammo, it's so quiet. Um, I've got neighbors out here near the shop and it just lets me practice more often. Um, and then if you're shooting in like a tube or a pipe, you know, you, there's no hearing protection needed when you get that loud ring, you don't get it that bad with a can. It, it's safer to practice that way. Um, yeah, that's something I, I was never exposed to out in Arizona. You just shot like, but down here in the South, like the gun range, that's, that's, uh, the public range that's in Crestview, like rifles, you shoot through a giant tube and that like definitely reciprocates that sound like it in, intensifies it and then echoes it and prolongs that sound um so rim fire it's a suppressor center fire would be suppressor as well i just okay. i just really enjoy it i mean who okay. doesn't like lowering concussion on a firearm it exactly i as a, as a as the okest ro in the southeast i appreciate civilized shooters that run a can for the sheer fact that it is much easier after you have 150 shooters firing 10 rounds and you're running the freaking shot timer right next to them, say like at the AG cup and you're just eating that all day long. Like shooters that have cans have a much uh, reduced headache at the end of the day. Um, hunting or fishing? So it'd have to be fishing. Um, okay. I, I grew up fishing with my father. We'd go snapper fishing offshore, you know, chasing king mackerel and, and amberjack and cobia and just fishing over hunting. Even though I love shooting, I shoot competitively more than really hunting. Um, okay. So it would have to be fishing between the two. Okay. And you said you're fishing for, like, snapper, like, offshore. Do you do any, like, inshore, like, bass fishing in the ponds? I noticed, like, on the way to your little house, there's that little pond down there that you could probably get to from the road, and they, they need their dock replaced. But I was like, man should have brought a fishing pole. Yeah, um, I did a lot of bass fishing out in Oklahoma in okay. gunsmithing school. There was the, the Blue River. We did trout fishing up there. Okay. Um, and then we did a lot of kayak bass fishing on Pennington Creek. And uh, I never fished the tournaments, but I had a my roommate, he did a lot of bass fishing in tournaments. And I'd always go with him as his support kayak and just okay. hang out with him. And so by being associated with him, we'd always 
I mean, every single weekend we were kayak bass fishing up there. And awesome. but, I, but I grew up in saltwater down here. Okay. Tacos or burritos? Ooh, I think burritos because they're a little cleaner. Everything's wrapped up, you know. Okay. Yeah. What's your burrito jam? Like, what's the burrito? Like, you go somewhere. There's a bur- there's a burrito on the menu. You're like, yep, that's what I'm getting. All what right. That? Don Carlos in Spanish Fort has okay. the hot and spicy burrito. Okay. It's a chili con carne covered beef burrito with queso and rice and beans, and it is the ticket. Okay. Where is Spanish Fort in relation to here? Spanish Fort is about 15 minutes back down Highway 31. Okay. Um, now, we've been shooting for a while together, whether it be a couple of center fire matches, but primarily rimfire stuff. What is your match superstition? I like wearing brand new socks to big matches. Okay, brand new socks. So, um, so for example, your little your little uh, NRL twenty three championship montage up here. You had? Did you go out and buy like individual socks? Was it like a brand new pair of like Hanes multi pack like? Oh, I, I wear the Sam's Club bulk low cut black socks. Fantastic! So you had brand new socks for train up day, day one, day two, like brand new pair of socks each day, or threw a threw a whole pack in the bag and only wore new socks the whole weekend. That's interesting. I've heard like people got lucky socks and they wear their the same socks, but I haven't heard in reverse where it's uh, brand new socks each day. Interesting. Um, so. Who is your shooting partner? Like, I got a good idea, but, like, who's your shooting partner? Like, when you guy, when you go to a match, local or big, world or nationals, whatever, like, who's that guy that you guys are in the same squad, you're bouncing ideas off of each other, you're, you're game planning the stage, how you're going to attack it, X, Y, Z, who's your shooting partner? So it's, it's really more of a team than just an individual partner. Okay. There's a whole group of us, and depending on who's shooting what match, we'll usually all go together and squad together. Um, and I'll say, you know, first off, it'd probably be Jeremy Salter. Um, yep. he, w- he was big, you know, ha- when we were going to shoot, you know, traveling, he said, hey, jump in the car, come with me, we'll shoot a lot. And so as, um, J- you know, through Jeremy, I met his buddy Cody, and Cody Alley, you know, he lived down the street, so then I started riding with Cody even more to even more matches. And, right. and really, those two guys pushed me to shoot more and more all over the place, so I have to thank them for, for getting me out of my local radius and taking me to bigger matches and around, and they were always driving and said, hey, jump in the truck and come with us. So Yeah, because, I mean, we, we started off at Altus. Um, you were one of the first guys coming to Altus on a regular basis, and then you had uh, BPRC out there mm-hmm. uh and i don't remember what that place is called anymore boone boonville or i don't know bonafe bonafe pretty close to boonville um out bonafe we were going out there for some matches and then the x matches started popping up and you guys started shooting x matches more and then you guys started traveling for um the x matches at arena and tennessee and the yeti matches yeah, and yeah. and nationals um this past year and the year before um, so yeah, I mean, I would definitely say that the team aspect is, is pretty accurate. Cause I, you guys are always teamed up together. Even at our local matches, you're, you're primarily shooting with, with Jeremy. Yeah. I um, mean, I, I like to shoot with good shooters and good shooters help push you. You know, I'll help, I'll help that's the, why, that's why he doesn't shoot with me. Oh, <laughs> I, I like to help people grow, but you know, and, and, and guy doesn't shoot as many rimfire matches as he used to. And so that's why we hadn't shot together a lot anymore. And, that and, is true. And while we're still on the topic, you know, you have guys like, you know, 
Jesse Jones and David Swedberg as well, who are members of those teams. And, you know, I, you can't forget them. They're both excellent oh, yeah. shooters. And, and the more you shoot together, the more people you know. And that's why the team is always kind of growing. And, and So David is a killer, and he is a quiet killer. He will not, like, tell you that he's coming for you. Man, I mean. His, we, his first match at Altus – he took second place and only got beat by Rudy by like three shots in his first ever match. Wow. See, we, we've always called David Swedberg the machine, and, and the origin was Cody was playing that, that Burt Kreischer um, skit, the machine, okay. um, in the truck coming back from an X matchup in Tennessee one time with, um, with all of us in the vehicle. But I look at it like Swedberg gets up to shoot, and it's just like he executes program. Like, he is the machine. He just Eggs. gets it done every time. And he's an excellent shooter. And he's I'm like a Terminator. Just like, yeah. boom. Like, this is what I have to do. Like, boom, boom, boom. Um, he shot a CZ457 Varmint. Not even the Pro Varmint. The Varmint for two years, three years before he ever went to a Voodoo. And then he's been bringing people out. Um Dominic Condors, uh, he's brought him out and gotten him involved in, in the shooting sports, um, let him use his rifle. But, like, David and I rode up to the um, Levi Wilson's match, the Cavern Cove shootout, the, the outlaw match up there. You guys crushed it. You crushed it there. Um, he had a good showing. Jeremy had a good showing. Um, I had a decent showing. Like, the little the little group of of – Southeast rimfire shooters is, is quite impressive. Like um, coming from not having a bunch in this area as far as rimfire goes to like helping build it up with, you know, the Altus matches and then BPRC before that fell off and now the X matches and all that other stuff has been really, really cool to see and to like be part of that. And I'd like to think that like you're, you, David, Jeremy, like you guys are part of that original crew that like built it up. And it's cool to see that you guys are still going. Like, I, yes, I've moved on to, you know, chasing some centerfire goals. Um, and I think I'm going to be out there at the end of this month for the, uh, for the Altus match if, if things uh, come together. But yeah, like I still like it. It's just there's only so many things I can juggle at a time, man. Um, what resources or resource do you use to learn things about shooting? So you're pretty decent at it now, but like when you were first getting into the rimfire stuff, you started with a, a CZ455 and you now you've upgraded to a RimX and like going from no uh, muzzle device to uh, uh, a brake now to a suppressor to... Um, weighted arc rails to lightweight like where did you learn all of the things that you've learned about this this rimfire game because like this rimfire game is like really serious and i know there's like whole pages devoted to like memes about shooting and, and rimfire stuff and and all this craziness but like it's not as easy as it looks well you know, in in the beginning, everybody starts reading the internet, and there's a lot of good information, there's a lot of bad information out there. But where I really started learning, um, you go back to probably 2019, 2020, they started hosting these centerfire matches out at Silver Creek. Um, okay. 
And so Tyler Geronda was the match director at the time on Jeff Stone's range out there. And I, it was it was a Friday afternoon, and, and, a, and a customer walked in, and he said, hey, I'm going to RO a rifle match. And I go, a rifle match? Where? And he said, well, up at Silver Creek, they're going to have like a, a six, 800-yard rifle match, you know, off a bench. And I was like, man, that sounds awesome. Because I, I had just built a 22 dasher um, okay. really wanted to get into precision. I did all my research, and that's the cartridge I wanted to shoot. So I built that gun probably 20 days before that, had just finished load development on it, and said, man, where's this match? I'm going tomorrow. Like, I right. want to be there. So we go out there, and that's the first time I met Jeremy and, and a lot of these people. And so we shot that match, and, man, we were all beginners. We had no idea what we were doing. Um, we, <laughs> we Isn't it so funny to look back and be like, God, I thought it was the bee's knees, and here I am. I didn't know man, freaking I, nothing. I found some video from that that first match, <laughs> and and our, our fundamentals were atrocious, and we were sky bolting, and, and nobody had any idea what they were doing. But we were still hitting targets, and we thought that was super cool to hit an ipsic at four or 500 yards yeah. in one of these matches was the coolest thing ever. And so... I, you know, being exposed to those matches, we, we, those matches kept going for a while, and we'd shoot them over and over again, and we'd kind of get better. And, and I, I went to the Precision Rifle Expo at, at Arena the first year they had it out there. Mm-hmm. And there I, I met um, Tom Fuller with Armageddon Gear, and, and he sold me some game-changer bags and said, man, these will make you a better shooter. And at that point, they did because, you know, we needed equipment. Right. And so, you know, I started shooting a game-changer then, and, and that improved my score and, and going – just down the rabbit hole of just trial and error for a while. But it wasn't until we really got into rimfire that we really started getting better. Okay. Um, you know, that we, we started shooting the Bonifay matches and, and the Altus matches kind of at the same time. That's where I met you. Um, but, but from there, a, lo- a lot of learning to shoot is being bad for a while and kind of going, okay, what do I have to do to improve? And, and right. you kind of start to figure things out, but, but where's the disconnect? Um, and it really, I just learned a lot from other people over time. Um, you know, I, I always look at, look at online and still listen to people say this about shooting and say that about shooting, but, but a lot of shooting's a mental game and there's fundamentals involved and, and you can learn fundamentals through listening on how to do it and then practice it. But really it's just trigger time and getting better and improving and kind of saying, Hey, this works and this doesn't. And like, you know, my, my CZ's got like 40,000 rounds on say. it. So like when you got 40,000 presses on one gun and then another 15-4 on another gun, you've got some trigger time. Correct, yeah. So I, I built that CZ back in school, and I, I loved Rimfire for a long time, and I was always shooting it, and it's just I was so comfortable on that gun that I feel like I had a good trigger press. It's just learning how to shoot off of props and things like that. Right. And, and and that gun wasn't balanced originally, so then I put an ARCA on it. I had a weight to the front, and I balanced the gun out. And, and you just kind of start to learn what people do in that sport and you just being exposed to it. Okay. And so a lot of my experience in learning to shoot is all from hands-on with, with shooters, with, you know, good customers that are now friends out in, on the range and things like that. Um, and you just, you just keep pushing and pursuing it, and, and sooner or later you're bound to figure it out. So being a sponge, like a shooting sponge. Yeah, I mean there's something. Not a l- bullet sponge, a shooting sponge, picking up what pe- what's working for other people and like um, – watching somebody that's better than you yeah i mean you, you can learn something from almost everybody i mean right. I, I i even even the shop you know i listen to everybody's theory on how everything's done because maybe somebody picked up something i didn't you know i'm right. the way i do things works really well for me but i'm always willing to listen to what your method is and, and make, even give it a try you know once or twice and just see if it'll improve things for me i mean you kind of know pretty quickly what's working for you and what's not so if you try something and you see an improvement hey follow it and if you right. don't don't so 
it's just just learn what anybody has to tell you because it's like somebody, me. It's like me in tripod rear. <laughs> oh man, I, I love it. I, I think it's the most stable shooting position there is. Anytime I can pull a tripod out, um, I will. So that's something that I definitely need to work on because I tried it. I didn't try it at Twisted Barrel, and if I did it, I probably would have gotten a couple more points on one very particular stage. And then I tried it at the NRL Hunter match in Oklahoma and was wildly unsuccessful. Um, so it's something I just need to practice. And it's, and it's in my training repertoire. I got like 28 rounds left from the Twisted Barrel match, and I'm going to go out to Altus, and that's what I'm going to practice. I'm going to try some of the smaller targets. Not the giant Ipsix, but like the smaller targets from standing, kneeling, um, tripod rear positions, yeah. just to just to see if I can I can get a little bit better at it. Because there's definitely points that I am losing by not having a better shooting position. And and that's a great example because early in the early days, um, in those those center fire matches we would shoot, I'd see guys pull out a tripod and start shooting tripod rear. And one day I said, hey, I want to try that. And I started learning tripod rear before I was any good. Right. So I've been shooting with a tripod for a long time now. And right. and I, I absolutely love it. I run it at Hunter matches every time I can. I run it at any PRS match that will allow it. Uh, NRL 22 National Championship allowed it. Really? And I didn't shoot with a big rear pillow bag one time. I shot with a tripod any time I needed rear support. Okay. Um, and they were 90-second part-time, so you had to be pretty quick. But... I mean, there's nothing more stable than running a rear tripod, in my opinion. Okay. Um, so, what goals have you set for yourself? Now, these can be like shooting goals, business goals, X, Y, Z. What are your What are your thoughts? Um, I mean, goal number one, of course, was to to own the shop, and that okay. there, I'm 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 here. I own the shop, and I'm 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 working on it. And running a business has been the hardest thing I've ever done. You know, I can do the work and and the machine work and and business side of business is, is incredibly difficult. Okay. And so I'd like to get a little better at that. And I'm figuring things out and rolling, but, but really the, the goal is just to pursue the business further and grow it to a point that I feel like we're, we're in a happy spot. Um, I, I'm not saying I want to get a lot bigger, but I kind of just want to shift some of the type of work we do into, okay. into more machine based work, a little bit out of the gun of uh, the just general repair and, and do a lot more rifle builds and a lot more red dot cuts and a lot more of the machining that we do just do more of it. And okay. Yeah. Um, and then in, in the shooting world, um, my, my next goal would be just, it, it's always to shoot better at the next match, but I, I'd like to try to make that, that IPRC rimfire team for Team USA um, okay, in so two the, years. The USA team for um, the IPRF, which is the International Precision Rifle Federation. There's mm -hmm. a centerfire and there's a rimfire portion of it. If you go back and listen a couple of episodes ago from when this one when you're listening to this one i actually had greg bell on and he explained the whole center fire aspect of it and it applies the same way to the to the rim fire they type they take your scores they calculate it and they they see how you did um and with your finish at nationals this year i think you're going to have a, a pretty good chance of doing so um so you want to try and make the the iprf worlds in 2026 Six. No, 2020, 2025. 2025, they'll be in what you said, Slovakia? I, I think that's what they're saying. I, okay. I've looked into it, but for now I'm just focused on my scores, you know, try okay. to keep points up at larger matches. Um, they still haven't announced how official scoring is going to go for this next year, but if it's going to be based off like it was previously, 
50-person matches, 100-person matches, and national championships are what count. Okay. So the goal is just to shoot well at those. And um, eighth, that, eighth at nationals helps a lot. You know, yeah. that's, a, that's a step in the right direction. So Now, are you – are you just doing NRL stuff, or are you doing the PRS 22 as well? Um, there, there's not a lot of PRS 22 hubs around anymore, and we would shoot it if they were more prevalent, but to, I think we have to drive to Huntsville as the nearest club right now. So okay. we, we haven't this season. Once the season restarts, we'll probably start to pursue it next year um, a little more just so we get more exposure and more rimfire matches. But for now, it's just not convenient to shoot these, these yeah. PRS matches. We're, we're traveling for the NRLX matches, but at least for local NRL, there's now a club in Mississippi. There's a club in Birmingham. There's the Altus Club. They're, they're, and there's word there's more clubs coming around as well. Yeah, because so, Gunline has PRS 22, and you guys are how far from Gunline? Probably three and a half, four hours. Yeah, it's still a bit of a drive. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. I mean, that's the closest PRS match to me, and it's five and a half. Yeah, so... We'd like to shoot more PRS-22, um, and we probably will going forward, but for now we're shooting just a lot of NRL and NRLX. Okay. Um, now, you you're, you're said your big shooting goal is uh, the IPRF, like, and you did eighth at, uh, tw- uh, NRL championship this year. Like, I'm seeing a bunch of other trophies on your little wall here. You got first place at a local rimfire, first place at a 308, only shootout, second place at NRLX at the arena. I can't read that cup. And then a fifth and then a second place finish um, at Altus for overall for the seasons. Um, I think I think we've, we've had, what, four seasons at Altus now. And four seasons at Altus and two winners. We've had uh, Alex Roth twice. And Jeremy, twice, is being the overall champ at Altus on that list as well. Well, I shoot Altus every month, and so right. I don't intend to slow down. I mean, the goal is to chase Jeremy. Um, yeah, I constantly find myself one point, two points behind him, and the national, the or the Altus championship was similar. Yep. I was just, you know, I think two shots behind him, and I had to beat him by three to to win it. So we knew it was close. Right. It, it, it's fun. I mean, I just want to get out and shoot more, really. I okay. Mean, so. Altus is a goal, I guess, but if it incidentally happens, it happens. I'm just show, okay. showing up to have a good time, get my points, and, and just keep shooting. Okay. And then I, I say what – my last one was what pays the bills, which was going to cir- circum- uh, segue into the into the shop, but we kind of already touched on that one. So um, paying the bills, this is your full-time job. Correct, is, yes. Is Servo's Custom Firearms. I've been full t- – the shop's been open for five years, and I've been full-time in it for four. Okay. Um. So you you said something offline. We took a we took a, a small pause that will probably turn into a commercial break, because um, we are sitting in a shop that is open for business and a customer walked in. So so how many times have you been to the the national championships for NRL? So I I've been twice now. Um, and last year I have you to thank for it because I I wanted to give up my spot so Jackson Salter could go with Jeremy and then you couldn't go so you told me to take your spot and yep. it was a lot of shuffling around but I got to go last year and it was great and I I shot with a crew of guys from um, out west that I guess you knew and um, which guys were those Boyd Linder and, oh, and yeah, a lot Boyd. of yeah, yeah their yeah, whole yeah. crew and and they were they were a fun group to shoot with and it was the first time I shot at a match that big I'd only shot one X match up to that point and it w- it exposed me to 
to a lot of a lot of different things just you know how how a big match will run and different positions and how tough things can be with target sizes and is the first time i had to really bracket wind hard in, in a in a switchy wind condition and right so you know that was a big learning a learning point and i, I managed to pull out like a 54th finish that year and i mm -hmm. wasn't really prepared to go and i said hey that's almost top quarter right let's push this year and see what we can do right and that was the drive for this year was to improve and just keep going and uh so 54th ish last year to eighth this year um and last year even you went to the cavern cove match with us and and you 80 82 shooters or something like that and you pulled out a eighth place win there too so yeah. a top 10 there as well and now top 10 at nationals where we've got teams or competitors um we kind of all just showed you guys all just showed up as a team um competitors literally from all over the country and probably a few international spots um coming over and shooting this rimfire match and you were still able to take eighth place out of 241 shooters now what people may not know is when I don't want to say that it's equipment because you've definitely put in the work, but when me and you were, when I was sh exclusively shooting 22 matches, like me and you would be neck and neck. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to let Harrison beat me. And, you know, it's that friendly camaraderie of shooting. Um, we're always trying to like shoot our best, but also beat our buddy. Um, and we'd be down there in like sixth, eighth ish place mm -hmm. all the time. And then I don't think you've been out of the top three at all last season. Um, I, I don't know. The, the breaking point was, was, was equipment at that point. So yeah. I, I had stayed with my little 10, 12-pound CZ for probably longer than I should have as far as growing as a shooter. Right. And so when I, when I built my Rimex, it just kind of like unlocked the potential that I could chase as far as having a gun that was purpose-built and balanced. And, you know, it was one of my barrels. So, of course, it, yeah. was, it was awesome. Yeah. And like – you pay attention to every barrel, but you paid special attention well, to, your, so to your own So the, the story behind that barrel is, you know, I do customer work every day, um, all day, and I don't work on any personal projects. But one one night I worked late, and so I, I leave the shop about 10.30. I go home, and I, I eat a snack, and I'm sitting on the couch, and I go, I have like a second wind. And I go, I just got my barrel in. I've got my action in, and there's a match on Sunday, and this is on Friday night. And I go, I could build this gun, and I remember it, could, that match. it could go to it could go to Cavern Cove on Sunday if I build this thing tonight and shoot it tomorrow on Saturday. So I go back to the shop. I get there around 12.30. I decide to go back to the shop, and I start indicating the barrel on the Rimex. I build it from like 12.30 to 3 a.m. and uh, spin that barrel on and go out to Cavern Cove. Um, but on Saturday, I shot 783 rounds through that gun just in playing with the new tuner I had on it and practice and all that trigger time, I guess, worked out, and that was the first match where I broke away, and that was at eighth at an eighty-second finish. Um, yeah. So that was where I said, "Man, there's something to this. I could, I just need to pursue it harder." And and we, because you showed up, and you showed up in our little in our little click that we all shot, and we were all like, "Ooh, he's got the Remex. Like, what's he gonna do, boys?" And you're like, "Dude, I put like seven hundred rounds on this on Friday and Saturday." I was like, "Are you freaking kidding? That's like." You spent more on the ammo than it was for the match fee to come shoot this, and it paid off. I mean, you took eighth out of eighty-two, and that wasn't that wasn't an easy match. Nobody really knew what we were getting into when we went to that match. Like, I got the invite from um, from Levi. He was like, "Hey, come up to the match." X Y Z. David David drove to my house. I drove us up there. Um, 
stayed on site that night, um, hung out around the campfire, drank some whiskey, and then we all shot the next day. And, like, where we shoot, we're not shooting into tree lines. Everything's cut open fields. It's not necessarily a field match. Not that this was a field match, but the facility was um, built around, like, sass shooting. So, like, 15 to 20 yards deep out of these um, – you know, Western props like saloons and jails and things like that. But we were shooting 80 to 100 yards into the wood line trying to find these targets. And um, it was completely different than anything I think we'd shot up until that point as as Florida, Alabama uh, shooters shooting at Altus and Bonifay. So, like, it was definitely, like, kind of a learning curve those first couple stages. But, like, you came through and you crushed it and and – you know, David did real well. Jeremy did real well, finishing in that top quarter to top half. Can um, I um? Can I share my favorite moment from that match? Sure. So we were shooting with Joey McConnell, and it was the first time I'd met him. <laughs> God, I love and, Joey. And so we have this stage off a rooftop, shooting into that that pocket in Cavern Cove where the wind swirls in a circle. If you ever shot up there. Um, oh man. And so we get up on the rooftop, and it, it's like a 12 target stage, and. And Joey's like, man, you have to hold this stage to get it done. I look at Joey, you go, I go, I'm going to dial it. And he goes, what do you mean you're going to dial it? You'll never finish. I said, it doesn't matter. I'll score well enough. And so we both shoot that stage, and Joey shoots a seven, and I shoot an eight. And um, <laughs> he looks at me, and he goes, I guess I should have dialed. <laughs> and jo- Joey's a really fun guy. But that I love was, Joey. Yeah. Um, so I remember spotting on that stage, and – the wind was swirling in the back. So you basically shot up the left side, switched over to the right, or shot up the right side, switched to the left side, and then back to the right side of this this cut. But the wind was swirling in that back cut. So even though, like, you saw dust blowing one direction, you still had to hold off the direction that the wind was blowing. And it, was, it really threw us for a loop. And it was like 183 yards of that back shot, and it was like a – Make it like a six or a 10 inch Ipsic target hanging off of like a, a, a flower potter stand. And like, I'm on that rooftop and I shoot and I see it go just off to the right. So I hold more left and then I, I hit it and I was like, that doesn't make any sense based on the way that the wind direction, it, that was a crazy match. Um, that was a really, really crazy match, but it was super fun. And like watching everybody kind of shoot things differently and then seeing the different props, like I'd never shot off of a car door before, and when you had to shoot off the top and the windowsill of a of a car door, or um, different ways of using tank traps and things like that. So that was a pretty pretty crazy match. Um, as far as nationals go, like I see uh, you got your little poster up here, and I can see your face in this picture. It's probably my favorite picture of you, like gun in one hand, game changer in the other, just like excited. Is that when you knew that like you were were you keeping score during that match? Like, what was going going through your head when you were coming off that stage? Was that the last stage of the match? Like, so that stage is the fifth stage of the match um, on day day one of shooting. Okay. And um, that that stage was a just a tripod out in the, an open field essentially. There was a tree line that wrapped around this pocket, but you had um, I'd say 170 yards of swing on that stage between the targets, and so. You had targets panning from right to left, but the order was not in right to left. It was a sporadic order around the targets. So, Interesting. And then you had to shoot them in a reverse order. So you would shoot like three, four, one, five, two, and then two, and then go backwards, back to, fi- back 
to the furthest target. Um, so it was it was a pretty sporadic stage, and it was a lot just a lot going on between the angles you had to pan to shoot and the different distances. And, and the, the whole match was 90 seconds, and now you got the wind coming coming into play because as you're changing direction, you're now shooting into the wind differently. Exactly. And so that was the first stage of the day that I had cleaned. Um, I'd shot some nines and I shot an eight, but I cleaned that 12 round stage off the tripod. Um, at multiple angles, and I was I was fired up. I was excited, and that that picture will just sit there forever. Oh yeah. Um, but but that's the moment I was like, man, I just need to focus and, and keep going, and just okay. just keep shooting. You know, keep shooting my match. And then you, the picture below it is got the whole uh, flaw. The whole team. The, whole the, team. the Florida Alabama team. Yeah. Uh, called I mean, the flaw team. Um, we we just refer to ourselves as Team Servos because most of them are shooting rifles that I built, and, I mean, and that is a very we're all wearing point. my shirts and and we have a good time and travel together. And so, um, you know, we had Matt Seymour and Jeremy Salter with Jackson, myself Swedberg. Um, we had Ben Stapleton up, for, who's friends with Cody Alley, who was in that group too, and then mm -hmm. Jeremy um, or Jesse Jones. Jesse Jones as well. Um, is David shooting one of your barrels? Um, David is shooting one of my barrels in NRL Hunter. He, okay. he's still shooting a stock Voodoo in in 22, and he doesn't need to touch that gun; it does just fine for him yeah. as is. But but in NRL Hunter, he's actually in um, first place for the series right now, tied with a few other guys going into um, the championship, and he's shooting a 6.5 Creedmoor barrel I put on a Terminus for him. So he's he's in. First place? He is, yes. In the Hunter series? He is. I did not know that. Yeah, he's he's killing it. Holy um, shit, David. Yeah, he, 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 call, he called me up and he said, hey, he said, I want to build an NRL Hunter gun. You know, I borrowed Guy's gun that one match and had yep. fun and I want to pursue it. So I got him a Muller barrel blank and I cut it for a 6.5 Creedmoor chamber at 22 inches uh, finish length on that Terminus. He dropped it into the same chassis he uses on his Voodoo. Yep. Um, ACC. Um, ACC yep, and ACC. And he is—he's killing it in the Hunter series right now. Dude, that's crazy. I didn't know he was—he was doing that well. I know he did well when he borrowed my gun, and I had full intentions of going to that match. But my kid was in the hospital. He messaged me and was like, "Hey, like," or he put it in the group chat that we're all in. Hey, does somebody have a you know a six five I can I can borrow? I was like, "Dude, I've got one in the safe. I've never even shot it. I never even shot that gun, and gave it to David, um, and was like, "Here, dude. Here's a bunch of ammo. You can pay me for the ammo." Just use the gun, like do whatever you need to do with it. And he went out there and took like eighth or something like that overall. Like crushed it. Did a great job. Um, so yeah, um, so it's super cool that he's 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 kind of branching out and doing the center air quote center fire. Yeah. Thing, but so with with Swedberg there, one of one of my favorite moments with him at Nationals, we um. The Nationals is held on a, on an air base, like a training facility air base that nobody ever shot on, so okay. it, nobody has home range advantage. Um, and there were some weird berms put in for different training scenarios they had out there, and, and we're shooting in all different directions all day on different sides of the road into different pockets. But out near the the, the far stages, um, like stages say 16 through 20 um, on day two, you're in a pretty wide field, and and you got Jesse Jones and Swedberg and I are all on glass looking down range and we're trying to talk about what the wind is doing and we're all trying to parallax in and out and see mirage and look at grass here and we're like man the wind's doing like three different things between the target and 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 us you know what do we do here and so I look I look at Swedberg and I go that's a four tenths hold to left edge and Swedberg goes that's exactly what I was thinking and he's so <laughs> excited and I just the, w reading the wind at nationals with Swedberg and those guys was so much fun just trying to come up with 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 it um i always joke it's like we were writing a phd on wind we were talking about it so much yeah like so me and him have gotten paired up at, at some of the the 22 matches and like we shoot those five stages in the bay 
because it's NRL stages. It's five stages. It's compressed. Like everything's right there. And like we're sitting there and we're shooting and like we got super big wind gusts kicking up. And I'm like, I was, I was like, man, like I needed, I needed a, a, a tenth on the on the KYL at like 35 yards. I was like, but I'm not feeling any wind. And he's like, oh, it's the differential of the X Y X component. And David's just one of the smartest dudes I know. Like, he's he's got uh, an engineering degree. He's super smart. He's very like precise and analytical in his thought process. And it's it's crazy to listen to this guy talk whether it be about his work stuff or about shooting because he's so meticulous when he's doing it and and his hot swaps on on um, equipment that he's using for different stages. And he's like, well, I'm going to use this here because this is like David's just a very, very smart dude. And he's very like quiet and I wouldn't necessarily say shy, but like reserved. Like he doesn't talk about the fact that he's really freaking good at this. Yeah often he, he was ahead of me on day one until he had one bad stage um, oh really he, he got stuck with a one on a 12 round stage and it killed his whole performance he probably oh. would have beat me um but that wow. that killed it for him yeah i mean yeah you can't have a bad day when you're at nationals like that's that's a very very tough tough break so have you done any of that NRL Hunter stuff? Yeah, um, I shot the NRL Hunter match up at Arena this year in the, in the rain and the cold, and it was it was probably the most miserable match conditions wise I've ever shot. It was still a good time, but once man, again, it was brutal. Once once again, a match that I couldn't make. Um, yeah, I really wanted to I really wanted to to make that match. Uh, they didn't have any more RO slots, and they had already sold out. Um, but so I've shot two. I shot the one in Louisiana which that one was hot. And then I shot the one in Oklahoma like two weeks ago. That has probably been the most difficult day of shooting I have ever had. Wow. 112 degrees. We started at 8 o'clock shooting at 8 o'clock. Got done at 7.30. Wow. Um, That's a long day. In 112 degree weather. And like... I like to kind of pride myself on just sucking it up and like sticking it out. I've never really contemplated quitting shooting in the middle of a match until that match. Like it was extremely tough. Um, I was hydrated. Like I ate a couple like small bites of, of the lunch. What they brought us was kind of heavy for, for being so hot out. So I didn't, uh, I didn't go with it. Um, but yeah, it was, very, very tough um, day of shooting. And it was 18 stages. So, like, you started in stage one, two, three, then you went four, five, six, then you went seven, eight, nine, and then you rotated back and did 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. So, you just did a big circle around this track. So, you were shooting in two different wind directions, but in three different locations. Um, and then. Um, shot that match, then I RO'd the match, and then Monday I drove back, and then Tuesday I spent most of the day in the ER. My feet had swollen up to, like, the size of this freaking Nalgene bottle. Like, my ankles were massive. So I had gotten edema, like, because I drove from here to Oklahoma by myself, slept in the back of my car one night, got up there, hung out with my nephew at his... uh, national championships for bass fishing up at Sooner Lake 
in northern um, northern Oklahoma, and then hung out with them for a day, drove down the next day, shot the match, and then stood around and RO'd all day. Like, between the sitting, the driving, and everything else like that, my feet had just, the heat, even though I was drinking water, like, they just ballooned up. And I was like, okay, I can't point my toe or, like, bring it, like, point it or bring it back to me without my my skin physically hurting um, because they were so swollen that I was like, uh, I'm going to ask a friend messaged uh, a PA friend of mine. She was like, you should probably get that checked out. Went and got it checked out. And they're like, yeah, we're going to check you for blood clots. Check me for blood clots. Everything was fine. But I was like, yeah, that was a, that was a very rough match. (laughs) Um, But it was a good time. And I definitely had a better performance over the first time. Like I went and shot the Louisiana match. I didn't even know what was going on. Like, I was just like, oh, I shoot matches. I can shoot this. And they're like, oh, yeah, you got to find all the... To-. Like, I knew that it was fine, rage, and engage, but I didn't know about, like, the cider stakes or, like, looking for stuff or, like, the fact you could ask questions. I had no idea. So, like, my first first match, I, I did really, really bad. And then my second match, I did better. Still could have done better. I did eighth in open heavy and 19th overall out of 60 well 45 individual shooters and then probably another 10 to 15 teams so like it that's the weird thing about nrl hunter is it's hard to like figure out where you scored yeah yeah um because like some of the teams are like sporadically put because like normally in a team like you can get a higher score so they're normally at the top but if it's like a brand new team that's never shot together they're probably going to be on the lower end so like they're scattered between so Figuring out where you actually finished is is interesting. Yeah, I I've enjoyed the Hunter Series matches a lot. Um, and, and they're even having like the NRL 22X Hunter matches at Arena. Yep. And so I've shot three of those now, and I shot the the, the Hunter in Georgia, and then they did a Hunter One in Georgia as well. Mm-hmm. And I shot that, and I, I think Hunter Series is worth pursuing, and I'll probably shoot some more of it as time goes on. Some of these lo- more local matches, Are and you, just see where it goes. Do you find yourself building some, like some dedicated per se? hunter hunter type rifles i know you said you built one for 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 david yeah but like has that been increasing in popularity as far as builds go so yeah in in general we build a lot of prs type guns and we build you know competition 22s for nrl and prs and then we've been doing some hunter guns now you know guys are wanting carbon barrels or lighter weight steel barrels and and building hunter guns and speak of the devil i brought one to you (laughs) we'll we'll get you spun up and done right um yeah because like so i'm running six five creedmoor for the the matches out at Altus. I've done that for the last two matches and had pretty good success. Um, success with it. And then, um, like I won this, I won this barrel cert. So I got a six, five carbon barrel. And I was like, Hey, if I can shed some more weight off of this gun, um, that way when my can gets out of jail, I can try shooting with a can mm-hmm. like, cause right now as that gun sits, I'm, or, I'm at 15.8, right? Like, max weight is 16. So, like, if I can trim some weight out of the barrel and maybe take one or two of those other brass weights out, I can have enough to, like, be able to put a can on it and, like, run it successfully. Like, I think I think I would enjoy that more yeah. than having a thinner profile steel barrel. But keep the steel barrel, use it for the, the precision rifle-esque matches, and then do, the, uh, do that for for the hunter matches not that i'm gonna like compete heavy in the in the hunter matches but like 
hey, if I want to go shoot with the boys in arena, if Robert Brantley has the continues to run these matches, like the only reason I shot these hunter matches is because Robert Brantley was the match director, and Robert Brantley helped me when I was getting started with a with a manor stock. So like anything Robert needs, I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. help him out with. So so on on carbon barrels. Um Jeremy's actually a Cat 3 vibration analyst at work, and so he does a lot of... He's a what? He's like an ISO Cat 3 vibration analyst at his job. His job is to study trends and vibrations, and so that's one reason I like shooting with him is he thinks, you know, he thinks outside the box. Had no idea. So (laughs) anyway, what I'm getting at is a lot of these carbon barrels have issues with harmonics and vibration, and so carbon barrels shoot well, but they'll vibrate a lot more than a steel barrel will. Okay. And so if you're having trouble with accuracy on a carbon barrel, you can get vibration deadening tape and put a small 6-8-inch piece on the bottom of your barrel out near where your, your chassis ends and try to cut down on the vibration. Because he, he, um, he runs an impact action with a carbon barrel in 308 for 100 series matches, and he was having action screws come loose and scopes come off, and it didn't matter what he did for thread locker or torque. And really? Until he started you know, trying to dampen the vibration on the barrel, and then the gun shot. The gun shot even better, and everything stopped coming apart on him, and he just you know had better experience with it. So carbon barrels are... They can shoot well, but they just have more difficulty than, say, like a steel barrel would. Even in a lathe, when you indicate a carbon barrel, it's more prone to move and shift, and so you kind of have to watch it. Because you're not tightening this down down as tight on the on the on the carbon part, or well, it just, it's slicker, so it rotates. Or it, it's just the nature of how they're built with like their resonant frequency. It's it's different, okay. and so you know any, any machining is mitigating vibration too. Just like you know shooting, you're watching like with tuners, you're tuning your vibration right. on machining. You have to pay attention to that when you're cutting a barrel and chambering. So. Carbon barrels can be they can be they can shoot very well, but they're diffi- they're more difficult to machine because you have to watch for these vibrations and and how you're cutting it and and just making sure things don't move on you. So like some guys will indicate a barrel one time and that's it they'll they'll go ahead and cut the whole thing. But you know if you go in and you're checking stuff along the whole way and making sure things didn't move, they aren't changing, right. and that you can track it, you know you'll get a better result. And so it's just carbon barrels are great, but there's more to it. Okay. So one thing that we did say that we touch on is like the concentricity and you're super big on concentricity, like in the machining realm of it. So like you're not just checking it one time, you're checking it multiple times in multiple places or, or what, what's your, without giving away your secret sauce, what's your kind of your process? So when, when you look at how, how a, like a chamber works and how it interfaces with the barrel and how your bullet enters your rifling. You know, your throat is super critical because how that bullet enters that rifling is how it's going to fly downrange. It's how it's going to exit the barrel. I mean, it has everything to do with everything on that gun. So realistically, your throat has to be your straightest spot on your entire gun. And so, you know, when we're indicating, we're not indicating just one point on that barrel. We're making sure that that entire throat area and leading into it and leading out of it is as straight as can be. Okay. And, and I'm talking concentric down to less than a ten thousandth of an inch. I mean, we're looking for absolute perfection before we ever start cutting on a barrel. Okay. Um, aside from that, you know, everything just has to maintain being, you know, parallel or perpendicular, you know, exactly nine, you know, there's no reason to have a taper on something that needs to be straight. I mean, if it needs to be straight, you make it perfectly straight and you indicate till you're there. Um, and it's just taking the time and detail there. Um, so really it's, it's just, as long as everything is true and concentric, you'll be all right if your throat is straight. And so that being said, you know, you don't want run out the back of the chamber either, but if you hold your throat straight and you true your blank up, you know, you true up your rear part of your rifling before you cut, everything's going to remain straight if you're doing your job correctly. Okay. And so concentricity, number one. So like when we see these mass produced guns coming out of factories, like I know when I had my 308 blueprinted, like they showed me the barrel and like the, the, 
exit end of the barrel was not in the center of the barrel. Like, if that makes sense. Like, it was mm -hmm. off off by a little bit. So that, that's not uncommon. Yeah, in mass. In, I mean, you're getting a mass-produced product. So, like, how, how exact is it really going to be? Um, like, they can do, like... That may have been the one out of the hundredth that that happened to, but like when you're producing seven thousand rifles, one in a hundred is still seven, you know, seventy rifles, or out of ten thousand, seven, yeah. seven thousand, right? Like, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, really, barrel. When you look at drilling a hole through something thirty inches long, you know, your average barrel blank is twenty-eight, thirty inches, something mm -hmm. like that. It um. You can't drill a perfectly straight hole through a bore. Um, it, it's impossible mathematically. You can get really close, but nothing is ever perfectly straight. Right. So you're, you're starting with something that's not straight to begin with. And so a bullet will follow a curvature of a barrel to a degree. And so as long as it enters straight and as long as it exits straight, you really shouldn't have a problem with it. Now, okay. there's other rabbit holes you can go down there, but barrels don't have to be centered in the board to shoot well. So a lot of blanks are turned. When they turn a blank, you know, they're they're turning it at 28 inches. So if you cut it back to 22 or 20 inches, what that bore did at that point isn't what they trued the blank up to. So that's why you'll see that offset, that barrel being offset. So we really like Krieger barrels in the shop because Krieger barrels are incredibly straight, very consistent, and, and some of the easiest barrels to machine as well from just a machinability standpoint. Okay. They, they cut great. They shoot great. There's, I've never, ever had a single problem with a Krieger barrel. And so I've done a lot of other barrels as well that have had, you know, bows in the barrel. And so, I mean, as much as 50, 60 thousandths of, of bow in that bore um, offset runout from where the chamber's straight to what the muzzle end is doing. But okay. as long as that gun is set up correctly, it can still shoot well. Now... It's better to have a straight barrel, right? But as long as you know what you're doing and you set up that that curved barrel, you're going to be all right. And David Swedberg's Mullerworks barrel is an example of that. That barrel is fantastic. I love Mullerworks blanks, but that one just so happened to have some curve in it. But he's still killing it with that gun. Yeah. So there's there's a lot to be said for how straight a barrel is. But as long as you know what you're doing, you can compensate for it, and the gun will still shoot great. Okay. So when you're so I dropped a barrel off here that you're going to spin up for me. Um, and I'm paying for it, people. It's, he's, not, he's, he's not doing it for free. So um, to say that, like when you put that, that barrel in the machine, like the first thing that you're doing is, is checking concentricity. Um, you're doing like you work from the back end to the front end, I'm assuming. Traditionally, yes. Okay. So you're going to cut the rear threads based on the action that I brought you. Yep. You're going to use the reamer and, and cut the chamber and do all of that stuff. And you're checking concentricity throughout that process. Now, are you, when you flip it around to cut the, cut the threads for the muzzle device, are you doing the, the same thing on that front end of the rifle? Like, What's what's that whole process look like? So so when you start a barrel on the blank, when you start a blank barrel and you put it in your lathe, um, the first thing you do is indicate the barrel straight like we talked about, and then like you said, we we true up we true up the back ten in for where we're going to cut our threads and cut the threads. At which point, you know, we'll then true up you know the bore where the throat's going to go, um, and and the chamber behind it, and you like your bolt nose recess if you have one, and and then the last operation will be chambering and you know run the reamer in there. So once you've got all your your chamber stuff cut, you know we'll go and we'll we'll check run out in the chamber. We're looking for identically no ideally no run out and usually that's what we can achieve um 
From there, you'll then actually go and you'll, you'll polish the inside wall of the chamber because usually the reamer will cut to a higher finish than what you want for brass expansion and chamber pressure. So we actually go back with like a 320 or 400 sandpaper and scuff up the walls of the chamber so that when your brass expands, it has something to grab onto. Mm, it's still okay. a smooth finish, but it's a lot rougher than the, the, the mirror the reamer leaves behind. Okay. And it's just something to hold pressure better and so that your case is more likely to, to withstand, you know, repeated firings. Okay. Um, from there, you then, um, you know, once everything's checked out and cut on the chamber and we'll flip the barrel over and we go through the same indicating process on the muzzle. Especially if we're going to run a suppressor, you know, you need that barrel not to be straight <laughs> at, the, at the crown. You need the rear of that barrel going all the way forward to be straight where that bullet's going to center up through that suppressor and 8, 10 inches in front of that gun still be perfectly concentric. Right. Because the last thing I would want to do is screw a $1,000 suppressor that I waited a year to get, screw it on, and then fire around and it baffle strikes and my suppressor goes downrange. Correct. Like, that would be very, very sad. Yeah, so, so we take a lot of attention to detail on our crowns and muzzle threading on the front end of the barrel. And muzzle threadings are actually our most popular service in the shop right now, just threading guns for cans in general. Um, I was looking at some numbers this morning, and I think I've done like 300 and something of them since about oh, this wow. time last year. So we do a lot of muzzle threading, so we're very familiar with tolerances on threads and threading and, and concentricity in that sense as well. So are you doing that just on rifles, or are you do threading handguns as well? Um, it, it's mainly rifle barrels, so like, you know, Remington 700s, Winchester Model 70s, all these older hunting guns that people want to run cans on, well, they need threads. So whether we have to, you know, thread it for an adapter, or whether we have to cut, you know, um, an oversized shoulder and, and come up with some ways to add material to that barrel to make it so it can fully support a modern can. Those are what, that's what we're doing a lot of. And okay. So, yeah. Um, so you're not only an FFL, but you're also an SOT? Correct. So um, if, I mean, you have a, you're not really set up as a retail store, but like if somebody was like, hey, I need, you know, I'm going to get, I'm going to buy the suppressor, but I need my firearm cut for it. They could have that suppressor sent here and you could literally match the suppressor that they're purchasing to their specific rifle and make sure everything mates up if they're if it doesn't come with some type if it's not one of these suppressors that has an adapter if it's like a direct thread like cutting threads is cutting threads but like how long is the the thread tenon on the suppressor like if that suppressor came here yeah you could literally mount their entire thing to that gun. So yeah, I do a lot of that. I mean, the, the main purpose of the SOT is so we can have your products in hands when we're building your rifle, you know. I mean, everything everything to a point, you know, you have prefits and, and you have set dimensions, but every single product is an individual. I don't care who you are, what you're making. There's tolerance stacking to some degree. Oh yeah. So by sure. having that product in hand, we can ensure that everything is a flawless fit and functions as it should um, from that standpoint. So threading direct four cans is a big reason we have that as well as just working on different products that need to you know, just expanding our, our capabilities of work for different things. Now, the, the I would say kind of branching off from the precision world, but the big popular thing is lever guns now, mm -hmm. right? And now that somebody bought another company, XY, I don't remember who bought who, but now the, like the Marlin 1980 or 1895 is coming threaded and a bunch of the 38s and 357s and now the 44s. And now the 4570, they're coming um, with a, a muzzle, uh, the muzzle threaded. Now, can you take a Marlin 1895 or 1897 and actually 
take that down and thread that barrel? Yeah, yeah, it's it's no problem at all. We'll pull the barrel and thread it. You ahead and thread it. Usually those those larger barrels can support full five eighths. Some of like the thirty thirties on like the three thirty sixes won't. So we'll do nine sixteenths on those. You can run an adapter, or you can run like a a hub mount in the back of your can to nine sixteenths. Um, and then you shorten the magazine tube, say a half inch or so, just so you have your thread tenon exposed and um, can still function the firearm with the can on it. And I know this was a leading question. Um, because I don't know if the podcast people know it, but you actually did that on my rifle. Correct. Um, and all we did, we, um, I was already purchasing a can. It's the exact same can that you already have. So all we really did was buy the adapter that I needed, and you machined it specific, the machine, the threads specifically to that one. So it's the right length, it's the right yep. pitch, it's all that other jazz. And then you were nice enough to bring the can to the range and let me fire your yeah. can on my rifle. You, you, come on, you gotta play with it. Oh, I mean, man. suppressors are so much fun. Yeah, and then like I had also had the MP5 with those um, those Federal 150 grain flat nose. That that thing, yeah. so quiet. Yeah, that, um, that night match is a lot of fun too. Yeah, and then um, just a really really good uh, fun gun. In fact, we uh, so that bear that I. Uh, I was telling you guys about like my, in my neighborhood like a year ago it came back and it's been more aggressive lately so FWC came out and beanbagged it and my wife's like oh they shot it with a tranquilizer and I went out there to go get my trash cans and the guy was walking down the street with a shotgun and he had a shell and I was like did you trank it or did you hit it with a shotgun he's like no I beanbagged it I was like oh well if you want something a little bit more potent I got the 4570 in the house and he's like oh no you can't be doing that I was like dude if it's aggressive in it if it comes at me, he's like, oh, yeah, I light that thing up all day. He's like, make my job easier. But if you just shoot it, we're going to have a problem. I was like, I would never do that, officer. <laughs> but the, the the can is on the gun, and the gun is ready to go in the gun room just for that instance. Because, like, I don't, like, I'm not out there, like, trying to get the bear. But, like, dude, with the kids and then all these dogs that we were watching with this this little side business that we got going, like, I'm definitely like, okay, I got an aggressive bear in the neighborhood. Like, he's he's been, like, lunging at people and going after people and their dogs and everything else like that. I was like, I'm not taking that chance. Yeah. Not taking that chance. So what's on the horizon for you? What's, what's so we're coming, I don't even know, like, 2023 is coming to a close. We've got the Grand Slam for NRL Hunter coming up the end of this month. Um, we just had Worlds, so the new season for NRL 22 has kind of already started up. We've got um, – we're f starting – we're going to be four matches into the Altus stuff. I don't know if you've shot an Altus match this year or not. I think you might have shot the first one. I've shot all, all of them to date. The centerfire matches or the rimfire matches? The rimfire matches. Okay. I shot one centerfire okay. in the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're coming up on the, the end of the long-range challenge match. To my knowledge, they're not doing a a, a two-day October match. Um, it's always it's so hard to keep up with all the different series and matches and things like. We are in a great hub for shooting here in the southeast. Um, but what's on what's on your horizons for shooting as far as as the rest of this year and into 2024? We know you're you're, you're going to be staying with the the NRL 22 stuff at Altus. Um, you've got this Patriot Rance Precision stuff that's going on. Like, are they having their own little series? I haven't been out there yet. I want to get out there. Like, 
Yeah, so, I mean, goal, goal number one will be to keep chasing the X matches, you know, to go back to Nationals again next year for NRL. Okay. Um, so we're going to keep shooting the NRL Series matches, you know, at Altis. Um, we're going to shoot the uh, the Sweaty Yeti up in Kentucky this year. Um, Arena's going to hold a doubleheader NRL 22X match that's a hunter style, but then also run a regular competitive X match the second day. So they're going to run two different X matches back-to-back one weekend. Okay. Um, so I'm going to go out there and be there for both of those. Um, are they so are they running one day X or one day hunter matches? So it's going to be a one day 22 hunter match, just okay. like they had the previous weekend. Um, I think they had one. They had last this one week. last weekend, and they had one a couple like a month or two ago. They'll have another one of those, but they're also going to have a traditional gamer gun X match where you okay. know ninety second par times, positional, traditional target style. Because some guys don't like the NRL twenty two hunter style matches. Some guys right. do, so they're going to have a double header to have both. If you want to be on the prize table, you know you have to shoot both of them and take the aggregate of your two scores. Okay. Um, and so that's how they're going to determine who won the weekend. But their individual matches, you can shoot one or both. Um, so that'll be fun, and then um, yeah, I want to talk to you offline about that one. Sure. That one sounds awesome. And then um, a- after that, you know, we have like uh, the up in Red Level, the Patriot Ranch Precision. I'll start running their matches again in the fall. They took a break for the summer just because it's been so hot yeah, down it's here. Yeah, it's been warm. But I- I'd like to, you know, give a go at their 22 series um, and see how we can work out, you know, at that one. I've I've got one win. I think I need one or two more to lock it in, but we'll see what we can do there. Um, and they'll bring their centerfire series back as well with Jesse Jones shooting a 6547 to great success out there. With um, he's got a Krieger barrel on a Defiance as well. Um, and and yeah, it's it's just you know keep shooting local matches, keep pursuing things. Um, I, we the match schedule's so busy, but I, I'd love to kind of start looking towards team matches. Um, okay. You know, a- anybody that's on the team or that we shoot with locally, I'd love to you know kind of partner up and go shoot a team match with them. And it, it's not pressing, but that's kind of what I'd like to kind of pursue. Try some okay. of the, the sniper challenges. The um, kind of like the hunter, the unknown target, the little bit of hiking from stage to stage. Like, I think that would be fun to try that. And so that that's the next style of match I'll pursue. But I'll shoot NRL hunter um pretty a lot more serious next year. Okay. Um, depending on scheduling, I'd like to shoot you know arena and then Louisiana and then shoot uh, Oklahoma as well. Just depending on what we can fit into the schedule. Yeah. Um, hopefully they don't do that Oklahoma match in July because that was that was brutal. Yeah. That um, was brutal. The um. I've had enough of shooting in the heat these last couple of weeks because that national championship match was was so hot. We carried a we carried a tent with us a pop up tent. Everybody yeah. grabbed a leg and walked with it, and we had the the battery operated construction fans like rigid tools yep. clipped up in all the corners and and blowing air on us and a cooler and a wagon and and then you know the hunter match the the one day hunter was just as hot. And now these are twenty two matches. It's it's just time to to have things cool down and get some fall shooting in. We, uh, man, like. Some fall shooting would be really nice right about now. I remember, so I think the coldest I've been at a match was one of the, I think it was like a February Altus match, and we were all like jumping in. We parked the trucks as close to the bay as we could, and we were all jumping in the trucks with the heaters on full blast trying to get warm in between the matches. And I was like, oh, it's not going to be that bad. All I brought was a sweatshirt. I was like, it was probably the most miserable cold I've been shooting a match. It was terrible. See, we have, we have such a, a, a variance in temperature down here in the south. Everybody says, oh, it's, it's, it's hot down there. It's not cold in the winter. Man, it's humid cold down here. It's it, different. It, it chills you to the bone. It is a different type of cold. Like, 
And as soon as it gets cold, everybody's going to be like, man, I wish the summer would get here. And we do that every time, but we never take the time to enjoy the nice, Those. like, four weeks of weather where it's not super hot and it's not super cold and the humidity is a little low. We never take time to enjoy that. Yeah. Those late September, October, kind of November matches, wherever that, those, those weeks fall in that range, those are the nicest matches of the year. Yeah, definitely, definitely agreed. Like, um, like I'm shooting Mississippi. It's called the meltdown. Like that's going to be stupid, miserable. I'm shooting Alabama precision. That's in September. That's going to be miserable. Shooting, Alabama for the Southeast um, finale, that's going to be miserable. And then I'm shooting, I'm trying to shoot um, the uh, MPA Fall Classic match um, and then turn around two weeks and go shoot Kansas. So, like, for Nationals, if I get the invite, and I'm just like, holy Toledo, man. Like, I didn't realize chasing worlds was going to be like this demanding, but it is a lot like, I mean, you got to shoot six matches. You got to shoot the finale. You got to like, but like I had a bad performance. So now I got to find another match. It's, it's, it's pretty crazy. But I told myself like, I've never shot more than three center fire matches in a year. Um, so I've never been qualified. So like based how they do their qualifications or whatever, I was like, man, what am I going to qualify as? Like, okay. So I've shot three. And I've got, deep, for my first year shooting national matches, and you shoot the center, the, the, the one-day series, you're shooting against the same dudes in your region. But then you throw, like, dudes that fly here from other states. You got dudes that flying in from Texas, New York, Washington, Utah, like, all these places to come and shoot this match. Like, it's a definitely different much more elevated level of shooter when like like the last match I shot 180 round match the winner shot a 175 and it was somebody that I had no idea who he was he just showed up and like burned it down and everybody's like oh yeah I know this guy I'd never seen him before in my life and I was like well like that guy can do it like show up and beat some of the best dudes in the in the country and still not like say be a household name but not like one of the big guys that you know from seeing him at a bunch of different matches and everything else like that it's been it's been crazy um so hun focusing on the nrl hunter stuff next year maybe some team matches but still stay dedicated to the to the rimfire stuff and um the rimfire series what is it that you want folks to know out there in the uh, in the shooting world, one about servos, custom firearms, but two, just about shooting in general. Whether it's like getting new, like being a new shooter and being thinking about coming into your to a first match or going going to a match where you don't know anybody. Like, what are your what are your thoughts on that new shooter? And then, what do you want people to know about servos, custom firearms? Well, I mean, just get out there. If you're interested in shooting sports, just go for it. I mean, you you cannot meet a better group of people than you do out on the range at these matches. I mean, everybody is just is an excellent person. You know, they'll give you the shit off your back if you need it. Um, just if you're looking at trying it, just go out to a match. Just go see. You know, go go see it. Go experience it. And and you know, you can go hang out at the range, but go shoot it. They will help you. They'll throw you gear. They'll throw you ammo. Anything you need. People want people to succeed and to do better and, and, and progress at things. So 
just go for it. Give it a shot. And, and you know, I'm sure you'll like it because everybody wants to help you. I mean, if right. you want to do it, people will make it happen for you. You just have to want it bad enough. Um, as far as the shop, you know, we're – you know, Servos Custom Firearms here in Stapleton, Alabama. We do precision rifle builds for especially rim fire. We build CZ-455s. We build Voodoo's. We build Rim-X's. Um, I've even rebarreled the, the, the B-22 precision rifles um, as far as just the new Savages that have come out. So there's a lot of things we can put barrels on, and I've done a lot of rim fire barrels. I have a lot of experience in it. Um, on top of that, I've been doing centerfire barrels for probably seven years now, if you count the time I built guns for customers in school as well as building guns now. I mean, there's a lot of barrels out there, um, and they all shoot well. Um, I tell everybody, you know, I'll shake your hand and tell you they're going to shoot well. If it doesn't, I'll make it right, but I haven't had to do that to date. Right. So, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that if you want a good old handshake, you know, I'll make it work for you. I'll get it done. Um, but on top of that, it's just it's precision. I mean, my, my big thing is just precision in every aspect. Um, I'm not looking at the thousandth. I'm looking at the ten thousandth anywhere I can. Um, even cutting, like, pistol red dots, you know, we cut them tight to your optic so that your optic fits snug in the slide. We don't just cut a blueprint and send it on its way. You know, it, it has to fit. It has to function. And it has to be right. Yeah, you were, show, you were showing me that. You were like, hey, we're cutting them per the individual's red dot, not just a blueprint. And you'd, like, snapped one kind of, like tight fit into it took it upside down and then shook it and like that red dot didn't go anywhere and that was no screws that was just friction fit that was that was super cool um so where can people find you how do they how do they get in touch with you if um I'm assuming people can mail you something or do like I did and bring it into you. Yep, yep. So like we've got our FFL, so you can send in um, send an item for work. We're a manufacturer, so you can mail it straight to us. We can mail it straight back to your doorstep. There's no FFL on your end required um, okay. because we're a manufacturer. You just put your ID in the box. We log it in from you, and we can ship it back to the address that's on your ID directly to you. Okay. So very easy in that sense. Um, besides that, you know, you can come into the shop. Um, we're here pretty much every weekday, Tuesday through Friday, and I do appointments on weekends and evenings. When I'm not shooting matches, I'm in the shop. That's all I do. So it's easy to get a hold of me there. Um, we're on uh, Facebook and Instagram, um, both at Servos Custom Firearms. You know, check us out. Give us a like and a follow. Um, you can keep up with the cool stuff we're doing. Right. And then um, besides that, our main our main point of contact would be email, servoscustomfirearms at gmail.com. Okay. And then um, last question, and I'll let you get, uh, let you get back to it. We've been rolling for a while now. Um, where did the the shark come from on your on your logo all right so there, there's a couple the couple aspects that all come together to make it work so the exact shark um that this the logo was was a necklace that my parents gave me when i was younger um a, a carving of a shark that i wore my entire life and i still have it and i've been meaning to get it made out of silver so i could put that one away and keep wearing it but i've i almost lost it and so that's why I've, i no longer wear it because it's special to me but right on top of that you know my father's nickname's always been mark the shark and so there you know there's the <laughs> shark and we live down on the coast and so you've got you know the the big fish in the small pond the apex predator you know we want to be the top of the game and then i'm also a big corvette fan and okay. the corvette prototypes were always called the mako shark okay so you know you've got you know my father's nickname is and that a we mako live on the on coast the and um yeah, that, that's a small Mako that my uncle caught in Mexico years ago, and um, okay. my aunt was like, get this out of the house, you know, what do you want to do with it? <laughs> and I said, man, I would love to have a shark hanging on the wall in the shop. So I that is it. a Mako shark replica of a shark he caught in Mexico years ago um, on my wall. So like four different things came together to make your shark logo for, um, for servos. Yeah. That's pretty dope. Mm -hmm. It's not just like, oh, I, I like sharks. Um, no, we're... We're the like, sleek authority, the apex predator, just, you know, big fish in the small pond if you look at it that way. But, yeah. I mean, you guys are building hammers. So, um, 
One, I just want to say thanks for for letting me come out. I know we've had this on the books for like two years now. Yeah, man. Um, yeah. So I and I've never you know had the opportunity to come out to the shop before. So like when my personal plans fell through, I was like, no, I'm gonna I'm not gonna go to work on Tuesday. I'm gonna come out here and hang out. Yeah, you know, hang out with Harry, hang out with my buddy. Thank, thanks for coming out to the shop and seeing it, you know, and taking your day off just to come come see everything. Out oh, here. absolutely. And I appreciate that. So and thanks for having me on the podcast. I, yeah, uh, definitely. I've been a listener for a long time, and it's cool to you know, be on the inside now, be on the inside track. Um, and I did see my stickers. You did put them out there. You did say that you didn't put them up last night. I, I, I promise I didn't. I just thought that'd be <laughs> a funny joke to, to give you. And then I thought I put one on the counter. You did. I already moved it for safekeeping. See, there you go. Well then there's another one. So you can cool. have one on your tripod and one on the toolbox. Awesome. Those are the, those are the limited edition. I need to order more holographic podcast stickers. Um, yeah, man, but I really appreciate it. Like we've been we've been shooting together for a long time, and like I like to close this out. I just want to say like me and you used to battle it out for like top five, and then like you really put the work in, and you've I call it your glow up into shooting because like you went from you know mid pack sixth, seventh, eighth place to now like to see you do what you're doing. I mean, eighth place at nationals from somebody from a club that I started is like makes all the long nights the doing the practice score like learning how to do all this putting on matches being a terrible match director to a decent match director like has made it all worth it to see somebody that like started out at our club go to nationals and take top 10 like it really warms my heart and i'm like getting emotional about it just it's weird because i'm not an emotional guy but like seeing that and like seeing the passion that you have for it and like going there and doing so well like makes all that hard work definitely definitely worth it yeah i mean it's, it's awesome because if you wouldn't have done that you know jeremy and i and all these people we wouldn't be pursuing it on a national level like we are now yeah, i mean exactly. it, it's because you said hey let's shoot 22s at altis that led us directly to this path yeah, i mean 100 it's awesome. it's awesome well thanks buddy yeah i man. greatly appreciate it thanks, thanks for, thanks for having your me time on. um all right folks like you said you guys can find them on facebook and on instagram at servos customs firearms um you can uh, email the shop at servicecustomfirearms at gmail.com. There you go. And um, send them your work. You guys want, you know, 22 stuff done. You want NRL Hunter stuff done. You want PRS stuff done. Like, this is this is a place to do it. I've done – I've had stuff worked on here, both precision stuff and non-precision stuff. So definitely give them a, give them a shout. Young up-and-comer. Um, been – got some got some years under his belt and he's he's got a bunch of firearms out there doing good things so check him out um follow the podcast like the podcast share the podcast we're on all your major um listening platforms spotify apple um itunes uh stitcher all those crazy other apps that i'm not super familiar with um but we're there so go ahead and like it Share it with your friends. Uh, if you can, go on and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps grow the uh, grow the podcast, get it spread out to more people. Give us a review. Give us five stars if you think we're worth it. If not, give us what you think we're worth. And uh, we'll see you guys on the range. And thanks for tuning in. Later. <laughs>